Okay, here we go, here we go. Let's play. Uh, okay, good. Done with that. Interesting to have a baptism at 8.30. That was fun because I can't remember the last time we've done that, so you get a little exposure if you came to 8.30. Um, and that seems to work well with being able to get the family in there. And thanks to you for all the stuff you, you know, you're up and you're playing and you're enthusiastic, and that's really good too. Um, I think this will be the last Sunday that we do stuff in the interior, so I want to try to kind of um, straighten up where we'd been. Um, I give you, uh, this is a, uh, is this not the Callaher icon? It is, is it not? Isn't this the Callaher icon? Yes, it is. Okay, so this came from Venice. Where did this come from? Was it Venice? From Venice, yeah. Which is a completely different look at Jesus. Um, you know, so what I tried to do, you know, when we met and we're kind of finishing up our own crucifix, what we tried to do was to have an authentic yet gentle Jesus, given to kindness rather than gore, you know, ambiguous a bit in terms of uh, is he dying, is he rising, welcoming for a congregation that might see this as their first icon, not their last, and yet getting you to think about an icon in a different way so that you don't just only think, this is so important, you know, Lutherans, they say justification and then they think that's the last word. No, that's the first word, the cross. It's not the last word, it's the first word. And so you begin to think about what the cross means, that evil does not win, that you will be resurrected, that Christ has absorbed your pain, that he continues to care for the church, that blood and water pour out of his side in the way of baptism and Eucharist and console you. That's all the things you want to think of and all the more as you sit and uh, contemplate the icon. Um, Let's see, then you get sort of a different, you get a slightly different take. And this is a kind, not quite as popular icon, popular meaning you don't see it in the numbers, but it is an extraordinarily kind thing. Once again, um, you see the wounds in the hands. Now one of the interesting things is, you know that post-resurrection Jesus has his wounds. So if you wanna play St. Thomas when you get to heaven, I mean, you can say to Jesus, do you care if I just put my finger right there? I mean, you might have to stand in line to do that. but. Um, <laughs> He still bears his wounds, even in his resurrected body. You know, he's still got that spot where he says to Thomas, you know, if you really want to, you know, go ahead and... So it's interesting, but you, you can imagine things like the wounds being a bit cleaned up and the lamb is quite, uh, you know, quite relaxed there. I just want to make just, this is just a little... Okay, it's a pastoral pet peeve, but I'll just, I'll just say it in that way, Okay. When people stop coming to church, people often say to the pastor, why don't you make them come to church, which in itself is an odd thing. And then they say, you know, they're the lost sheep. This is a lost sheep. What do you notice about that sheep? Tired. What else? Happy to be carried. What else? Not struggling. If you put him down, he wouldn't run back to the old place. A lost sheep has lost its way and wants to go home. That's very different from somebody who's home watching ESPN reruns this morning, okay? That's not a lost sheep. A lost sheep is somebody who would come home if only they were carried back. A hard heart is something very different and you shouldn't confuse the two when people don't come to church. It's terribly important because if you confuse the two, what happens is I get blamed for your bad behavior. Pastors get blamed because people don't come to church. Believe me, the third commandment has nothing to do with your pastor. 
So, um, but that's the, that's the commandment. The commandment is you go to church. I can't say your prayers. I can't love your kids. I can't be husband to your wife. I can't, do, I can't go to your job. I do this, you do that. This is a lost sheep who is utterly relaxed and thankful for the gift of being carried home by the incarnate Son of God. That's very different than a hard heart. So I just, I just sort of put that out there because once in a while people will use, you know, the church of the pastor as an excuse for not coming and nobody comes to get me, I'm the lost sheep. That's not the story. That's a very different thing. That's a, that's a hard-hearted um, thing. If I had to preach the second half of my sermon today, so I was telling somebody today, when I came here I used to write 1,500 words, then I wrote 1,200 words, I'm down to 1,000 words and I'm aiming at 800. So, because it just, you know, there's more and more to say about less and less. But just one other thing, if I had written, you know, what happened is I have eight pages that I took with me and I have another eight pages written, but actually the second half of the sermon is about how evil corrupts every facet of the human being, even your ability to think. You could no longer feel, you can no longer reason. So when people make all kinds of excuses about coming to church, they don't see reality correctly. When you're, when you're caught in a mortal sin, you can't listen, you can't see, you can't hear. When you're caught in sin, this is your only recourse. Your only recourse is to throw yourself on Christ and let him carry you wherever he wants to go. This is your last recourse. And this is your first thing toward the new life. You see how that's all in that icon? And that's all because the sheep isn't struggling. Jesus has a grip on him. I mean, I don't know if you've ever held animals, but that's, you know, like that. You remember the old Mark Twain saying, he says, you can learn things um, in picking up a cat by the tail that you can't learn any other way. <laughs> you know? Uh, you know, you can learn something about how you hold animals. There's a way. You notice he's not letting the lamb go anywhere. That lost sheep isn't going anywhere, and the lost sheep is very happy, content to be held. Right? So, um, just, just, I mean, this is kind of the ongoing thing of the sermon, which is, I just can't tell you, evil so corrupts you, it so corrupts you, it so corrupts you, you can't think, you can't see, you can't hear, you don't know. When you're caught in desperate evil, shut up and do that. You don't see his mouth open bleeding. Turn right, go left, I don't like that direction. What about those people over there? <laughs> That's a lost sheep, and you know what? It's great to have it in your house because it reminds you of who you are and where you're going, you're going exactly. And at some point, he'll let the lost sheep down and the proper sheep follows the voice of the shepherd. I know my sheep and they, my sheep know me, right? So anyway, thanks for sharing that. It's a genius little thing. Little hefty Jesus. We're not used to kind of a hefty Jesus. Kind of interesting. Pasta, you know. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's uh, uh, does he have a law eye and a gospel eye? Did you check him? Does he? That's so interesting. People are so smart. It's great to know smart people. And then the se next thing, okay, so a segue into smart people. So the next thing I gave you, did you pick one up? There's an email from the Bishop of Russia, right? You know, this is the sort of thing that I guess bishops do in their spare time, which is they read all about, um, you know, do you have this? Did you pick one up? Dear Fathers, do you have that? Yeah, you get, anybody need one? Just fun. So today I studied a very interesting article written by the Orthodox. He explained what the fingers mean. I'm like, really? Now, I knew there were a few. Like, you know, there are things like when we bless you, 
you know, when we bless you, there's a couple of ways. You can bless people like this, which are the first two letters of Christ's name. Ice, so it's an often abbreviation, the Cairo in Greek. So you're actually putting the name on people. If you extend a finger, you're actually given the first three letters. There's also uh, a great tradition about um, the three persons of Christ and the two natures of the Son and all that is extended and put to you. So when it's the numbers thing where you say, bless my people by putting my name on them, what the, what the pastor is actually doing is actually, he's actually putting the name on you. Like that child who was baptized today, they took the name and put it on the child. Nelson took the name in his hand, I baptize you in the name of the Father. He touches. He puts the name on that kid. Then he anoints him, puts the name on him again. Like the kid will never be the same. He's blessed because the name got on him. That's the same thing. You, the pastor can't reach from the altar and touch all of you, but what he's doing is he's got the name in his hand and he's extending it to you. You know, three persons, one God, sends Christ, two natures, one person, and he touches you. That's what's happening, okay? But there's more, and I don't know if this is true, but I like to listen to people who are really smart. And also from another tradition. This is completely Eastern. So he says... Modern Christians don't know this, and they often misunderstand the signs. For example, and this would be very interesting, because you'd have to find somebody who knew, well, that one we have no hand. We, we would have to find somebody who really knew whether, and you'll see, so an open palm would be, so this is not the same as this in an icon. These are very different. And if you look, you've got examples of them. I gave them to him, and you can play with them. So the first one is, you know, you notice he's got a book in his left hand. It's not arbitrary criticism. The first one, he's got his, his hand is twisted towards you. Um, this one is not heavy metal, this second one. It's, this is, I insist, which is very interesting, and pointed into himself. Now, partly what happens when you go into a cathedral or a place with a lot of mosaics, you tell stories. So you could tell the story, from St. Mark's in Venice, you could tell the story of the first 2,000 years of the church. It's fascinating, partly because you can go in and you can see that they're wearing the same vestments 1,500, 1,600, 1,700 years ago that we, what we wear. It's fascinating to walk in and see that. You're immediately absorbed by the tradition. I can't tell from these one-off icons, for example, what exactly the thing Jesus would be insisting on. I mean, in some sense, he's insisting on himself, but there must be the rest of the story. And part of reading the icon, like reading the text, is to figure out what that story means. In the same way, you have this pointing, you know, pay attention. And then the last one, which is, um, which is, I speak, listen to me. That one makes great sense because that icon is classically known as Jesus the teacher. I have two of those in my office. That's a classic, classic. He holds the book, and it's basically, uh, it's, it's, it's almost always called Jesus the teacher, and it is, I'm speaking you're listening, you know. Now you can imagine if you surround yourself with these in your house, in your own devotions, in your own church, you walk in, and now we're way back to where we started, the building is always talking, the building's talking, the building's talking, the building is always talking. So you look at this icon and you say, it's great to be a lost sheep that's been found. And these are the characteristics of a lost sheep, very willing to be carried, go where he's taken, happy to be quiet, um, ready to get down and follow again. Uh, repentant for what he's done wrong, um, happy to do good in the future. And Jesus, who is always 
uh, wounded, resurrected, and carrying on. So if you walked into church, if nothing else was going for you, if you didn't like the music, if you didn't like you know, the sermon, if you didn't like whatever, there's always something going on so that you can learn. So I give you this as just the very first kind of baby step. And you have um, examples of each of these. Um, you know, you'll have to work a little bit, but I thought it was fun, and I'd saved it for you from years and years ago. So just any questions about that, just kind of finishing that up? We've, we've just begun. I mean, we spent a whole year on this. We've hardly started. There's so, it's the great thing about the church. There's so much to know, so much progress to make. There's so much good to do. You know, just keep going. And it, just questions about any of that, anything I've forgotten or haven't told you? There was, in Meltem's lecture, there was a question about um, why the um, mark in the side was on that side. I pulled up about 10 other icons. It was always on that side. But if you've seen it in another icon or in another representation on the other side, I'd be curious. I always presumed it was on that side because the spear went through. Uh, that's your you know, kind of way to your heart. So your heart's a little off-centered this way. So you get speared this way in the point, and then stuff um, gushes out. But if you've seen it in another way, I'd be curious because, you know, I think, you know, there's just so much to learn. You can't remember everything, and sometimes people know stuff. Yeah. You know what, you're right. That's the one where he's on the cross. Yeah, yeah. yeah. now, let's see. It, it's shooting toward the chalice. Or yeah. one of them, it's hitting some guy in the head. Uh, but that's not an icon. That's actually a painting, an altarpiece. So I'm curious now. Now, see, now I'm curious about, is there, maybe you're free of the tradition if you're not in an iconic tradition, if you're just, uh, you know, if you're just painting. Because you remember that part of the guy's being hit by the blood of the guys who paid for the painting. Hey, it happens in the church, okay? So, um, bishop's the bishop's wife, yeah, exactly. So I don't, I don't know what the answer is, but um, thank you. Yeah, that, that actually, I can recall that. In the Isenheim altarpiece as well, it does shoot to the left because it goes down into a chalice. That one, I think, was hitting the guy in the head, and I think that was Luther's from Luther's altarpiece in St. Mary's. Anyway, that's part of the fun, part of the fun. Yes, Marilyn? Yep. Really? Thank you. That's very interesting. Thanks. I, I, anatomically, that's probably not. It's like the Seinfeld episode about the. Oh, uh, never mind. <laughs> yes, indeed. All right, so then anything else about any of that? Thank you for that. Okay, then um, I just give you small gems, kind of little things to think about. This is as much as. Um, one of the things that's been fun is people say, why did you do that? Uh, that's so good. And then you have to kind of say, I'm, you know, we're not that good. Like things like, if you come to Eucharist in the morning in the last two months, the sunrise, I mean, this is like Stonehenge material, comes up, goes right down the middle aisle and makes the altar glow gold. You should come in, so this is May. It's kind of gone away because the sun is too high by the time we get there, but kind of February into March. It is unbelievable. It's dead east. You know, right down, it goes right down the aisle through the font and lights up the, you're like, how'd you do that? It's like, yeah, we are not that good, okay? <laughs> Dumb luck really accounts for a lot, of, a lot of, you know, fortunate kind of stuff. But you should come some morning. It is, it's completely different because it looks so cool. It's like, it's all gold. Um, I don't know, that was, that was sort of fun. Somebody said to me, you know, the ceiling, it looks like a cradle. I'm like, great, I got my intro for next Christmas. <laughs> because, you know, we talked about how often it's like a ship. 
you know, nave for navis from the Latin for, you know, ship. But if you do, um, I was like, it looks like a cradle. I like, it does look like a cradle. So, you know, today you can look up and see, you know, so you know, that's kind of fun. Um, or the three aisles make the three crosses at Calvary and the font is right at the middle cross. I'm like, really? But actually, if you stand at the altar and look back, it is. That gives you the perspective of, you know, on a green hill far away, you know. There is, actually, there are three crosses where the aisle and the, and the pews, you know, it is what it is. Um, also, it is true that the crosses that are up in the light, and I did count this morning, uh, there are a dozen, there's an apostolic number of lights in each. And I'm sure, and I just want to say, you know, so I'm going to say it now so I don't forget to say it later. I was going to say it the last thing, but Bruce Klein did a genius job um, on very little money doing a lot of cool things. And so we want to say thanks to him. And, and um, you know, he did a great job pulling things together. And we should always kind of remember, it's very hard to work in your own congregation as a professional because everybody has opinions, especially about emotional things like how, you know, how the interior turns out. But yeah, the, the crosses are very similar to the crosses on the altar. You know, even little things like you have a, do, you know, 12 is a holy number, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 disciples. Jesus is having his new Israel when he has the New Testament at the Monday Thursday. And you're part of the new, you're part of a 12. You know, he has himself a 12. You know, Judas dies, Paul comes back. Now we have 12 again. Isn't life good? Um, so there's just a lot of stuff going on. But they do, in fact, match. Uh, we did do that. Also, the same thing with the golden, there's, a, there's, a, there's an eagle, the St. John Eagle on the golden chalice. Now, we probably looked at a thousand chalices, <laughs> but there wasn't any guarantee that in a barn outside um, Pittsburgh, we were going to find, you know, an old golden chalice that had an enameled eagle on it. By the way, you altar gilders, just indulge in your old man pastor, I'll just tell you. And this is, so I'm changing now, I'm changing, I think. It makes me happier when I can see the eagle when I celebrate. It's often turned to the congregation, but they can't see it. What do they know? They're watching black and white TV. I want color. So when I look down and see that eagle, I think to myself, it just is another way that it's love me. Uh, I will say the altar guild, we ha I mean the altar guild, you can't believe the stuff the altar guild does that is, you know, other pastors come here and they think they've died to go in heaven because an altar guilder will walk up and say, can I steam your stuff so you look, they're like, who are you and what will this cost me? You know, our altar, we never even think about it, which is the key in the church. Ushers, acolytes, um, altar assistants, crucifers, altar guild, each other. When you don't notice each other, that's when you have it right. People are in service to the church. Musicians, we're not there to be noticed. We're not playing a gig. We're not doing a thing. What we're doing is we are trying to present Christ to, in service to the liturgy, to the people who are gathered here. That's what we're trying to do. So when you don't notice things, when you kind of are drawn into and out of them, where you say, isn't that beautiful, and then you come back. So that's a really good thing. Stained glass windows, true confessions, especially before Kay Marner gets back from Florida. So here's the deal. Let me just give you the short story on stained glass windows. It all starts with Kay Marner and Pastor Gandy having a beer after a round of golf. So already you can see how corrupt this is. Um, Gaining says to Marner, don't you like the stained glass windows? Ooh, big fish. Zzz, big fish, big fish. Ooh. Kay's like, yeah, we all love the stained glass windows. Gaining says, I got a guy who will put him in one at a time for $30,000. Kay says, buy the beer and I'll raise the money. 
So that's how the story started. So he called some of you, he talked to people, blah, blah, blah. People gave about um, $85,000, and I think there's a promissory thing out there for about $25,000, so that would make about $110,000. So John Crow calls the guy up and says, hey, we got cash, we're ready to go. And in fact, we do have the cash, and even in our struggles, you know, we've learned our lesson. We don't tap that designated fund. The cash is sitting there in the bank. Is it not sitting there in the bank? It's sitting there in the bank. <laughs> you know, so even in our, and, and the governing board has talked about, we, we do not tap a designated fund for other purposes. So, um, you know, John calls the guy to sign the contract, and the president of the company says, my salesman must be out of his mind. And they won't honor the bid. Now we're jammed up. So we got two more bids. So the first one was whatever, um, you know, three times eight is $250,000, The next one we got is about $600,000. Yeah, so we're not, and installed all at one time. So then John had a very clever idea, which is we go back to the craftsmen who did a lot of our stuff and we have them do what we did in there often, which was we piece together. So we get a frame builder and then we get a mason and we get a stained glass guy. We get them to all play nice together. And we've been able to do that um, and to get the price at about $40,000 a window, which would be $320,000. The problem is when you use all those different people, we, are, we need to do them all at once. We're reluctant to start because if we do two and somebody gets hit by a bus, there is nobody else. One of the problems with the recession is all these craftsmen and artisans went out of business. They're not around anymore. They're gone. We had, ver a, we had a huge amount of trouble just getting three bids. Uh, it, was a, it, was, it took us months just to get three bids. So here's the thing. We thought we had it. We thought we had it in good faith. People gave money toward that in good faith. The company withdrew their bid at the point of signing. Because we obviously weren't going to sign without the money. That's another thing we're not going to do. You know, we're not going to commit money when we don't have it. Now the next best bid is to do them all at once, $320,000. There's about $110,000 there. If one of you magically writes me a check for $220,000 before 11 o'clock today, we'll start work tomorrow. Um, but that's kind of where it is. And I know that that may create some disappointment. And let me just say aloud for you, you know, if you gave toward the windows and you think you're going to die now before you ever see the windows, come and see me because you gave money under honest pretenses and we're not the kind of people who are going to stiff you. You know, we'd like to put them in and we'd like everybody to be happy. But as John said, we can't sort of, you know, create a, a separate capital campaign at a golf course over a beer. Now, not that that wasn't well intentioned. I was very happy to have those guys do that, but we got to get all the way there. If the price tag is $320,000, given $110,000 doesn't get it done because A, we're not tapping designated funds anymore, and B, we're not going in debt anymore. Make sense? Everybody got, the, everybody got it? So this is how learning your lesson in the past goes forward into the future. Yes, Mr. Lost? Well, I think today. Didn't it, didn't it light up today? There's a gremlin in the box. We don't know what it is. Oh, yeah, good. Yeah, there was the bottom panels were, um, a few of them were not working. Didn't know why. No, I know you're not. I'm telling you. But we, so what happened is somebody went in and then turned it on and it turned back on again. So we're like, don't turn it off. <laughs> uh, but it is still under warranty. And the, the guys that, we, that did it are fantastic guys. They've done tons of big installations downtown. They're a very reputable firm. And it should, have, it should be taken care of, but it's, uh, we don't know what it is. We don't know what it is. We got, a, but we got them coming out to help us. So thank you very much. You're actually right. And you're not the first, you're the 10th person that's asked me. So it's only because the, 
we turn it on and ah, we only got part of it. So thanks, you're a good man. Um, what about the organ? I don't know. If you, aim, if you tell yourself it'll be here at Easter, then you'll be happy. Okay? Yes, please. I'm sorry, Tom. Yes. Mm -hmm. the, 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 the insurance cost for the, for the widows is a million bucks all in. We insure them for a million bucks. Not that anybody would pay us a million bucks for them, but if the place burned down and we had to recreate them, it'd be a million bucks. We will take them out. We probably won't install all of them. One of the things that churches often do is they get sentimental about old stuff. In fact, there's a church around that they moved, they built a new church, but they were so attached to the old church that every time I go there, I, they, they like brought the old altar and all this stuff and they put it out in what would be our commons. So you walk in and you think there should be a coffee pot and instead it's the altar from the old church and you're going, and I asked the pastor, he's like, oh yeah, every bride and groom, they get married at the altar in there and then they come out and have their pictures taken here in the, in the narthex. I mean, sentimentality will kill you in the church, okay? So what we will do is we'll put in the ones that fit, but we're not going to probably knock out all the clear glass there and just piece everything together like a big jigsaw puzzle because then you look like, you know, my Aunt Hilda's bathroom. And so that's what we're not going for that, okay? Um, there are people walking through. Um, the guy, we have a very good realtor who sold three or four churches in the last three or four years in this area, so he, he has experience. There are people walking through, but everybody, you know, wants to give you 10 cents on the dollar. The, the, what people don't know, I mean, people, I think, do that because they think we're desperate. We're not desperate at all. In fact, John and Dave Eisenhammer and some other folks have done such a good job with the um, finances this year, it's going to be a really bright presentation when it comes to the voters meeting. Not without some measure of pain, but... Um, you know, it's going to be something like we told you we were going to go $300,000 in, in the red and have to sell land to make that up, and it's going to be more like the ink is black and we didn't have to sell anything to go in. I mean, I'll let them tell you that. Now, it's not without some measure of pain that we've gotten there, but it's a different reality now. So we aren't desperate to sell it. We can sell it at our advantage. It would take some debt off the books to make us feel better about ourselves. It would give us more money to do other cool things. Uh, you know, that's a legitimate, so she said, like, move the windows. Uh, yeah, it's a legitimate, it's a legitimate question. It's a legitimate question that needs to be asked, you know, those sorts of things. So the windows will get saved. There are people walking through. We obviously clearly won't destroy them. We will save them. How that will work, I can just tell you, if we had all the money up front right now, we could do it. But that's how, there's nobody who will do them one by one right now. So we've got to get the money up front if we're going to do it. Make sense? Just on a, you know, it's, it just takes a long time. to. It took months to get to that conclusion. Karen Crawford, we haven't heard from you for a while, which could make me nervous or happy depending on what comes next. It'll be turned into whatever the people who buy it want to do with it. Yeah, so it's just for, it's open for, um, you know, whatever people will want to do. So it could be... Yeah, except the zoning, yes, depending upon the zoning, but it does have commercial zoning, which is its own commercial, I think, the whole block. So uh, we, we don't have strictures on any of that. Of course, we'd like to have a good neighbor. You know, we'd prefer another Missouri Senate church didn't move in there. Um, you know, so there's some range of what, you know, what, what we would like to happen, but uh, we do have to be careful. Karen, Karen, sorry. 
We have talked to all those people and explored many things, but um, when people, there's a lot of people who have interest, but when they actually have to write a check for $3 million, their interest wanes. <laughs> and we're not, you know, we're not in a position right now where we have to take you know, 10 cents on the dollar. We're not, because people have done so well. All right, let me keep going, because um, I got a couple of things for you. Um, and the other thing I just want to say, you know, if you've never been in the sacristy, you should go back there, because that is a blast. I mean, you guys did a great job. You who and it was really the altar guild who sat down and said, hey, we should do this, okay? So that was really fun. Let me give you one thing you may not have noticed. This was Holy Bruce Klein, so it's important to give, you know, people did different things. Some things were a combination of things. You know, sometimes people had an idea, other people pushed it. We needed something to kind of finish the columns. Bruce did this all by himself. He, he incorporated two really good ideas. One was he finished the look in a very simple way, but two is he tied us to the church all around the world, and you probably don't know that. You wouldn't know unless you looked it up. So what he did was he put these medallions together, and um, he tied them to some, uh, some great churches around the world. So it's, they're all of a similar pattern, this quatrefoil, which literally means four leaves. And you can see that, right? You've seen this all over the place. One, two, three, four, right? And that is variously interpreted you know, uh, as fours and threes all around. For example, you have four evangelists, you have four gospels, but you also remember the famous icon um, of uh, where, where the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are sitting at the table, and then Pastor Ganey preached about this um, a time or two, but the front space is left open, and that's the place where you come and sit at the table with the Holy Trinity. And some people interpret this quatrefoil the same way, which is you have, you know, Father, Son, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, but then also your space. So, you know, fours and threes work together well, and you can think about... Um, however you want, whether you want to think about it, you know, as the four evangelists, as you want to think about it as the four gospels, or if you want to think about it as the great reconciliation, where the Holy Trinity makes room for you as part of the community. But threes and four, that three and four, you know, tension works very, very well. So um, just so you're looking up there, um, this is the plainest of them, and you can't read the fine print probably. Oh, I did, I typed it out for you. Did I give you this? I did give you this. So these are the great cathedrals where you find. So next time you go, you know, for example, Ely Cathedral is just up the street from Westfield House. I mean, if you go to Ely Cathedral, you'll see this one. You'll see this in Notre Dame. You'll see it in Spain. You'll see it in Strasbourg. So this is a very common Gothic. Now, when you go up, look, you'll, you'll look up and you'll say, yeah, we're part of that church Catholic. This is 300 years before the Reformation. We hadn't been kicked out yet. Okay, so this is still our, you know, we're still part of this deal. Okay, go to the next one. Um, you know, it's probably a nod to me because, you know, I would like to die, not at the county convalescent home, but I would like to have a heart attack and fall into a canal in Venice and drown. And then I'd like to, like, I, wherever those motorboats take the casket, that's where I want to go. Because last time I was there, I was having to have a coffee right across from a, church and they were actually having a funeral and I had a lot of coffee because I wanted to watch every last detail. There's just something about, you know, pulling you out, loading you on a boat and you disappear. So um, I don't know whether this is a nod to me or not, but this is a famous um, quattro from uh, St. Mark's in Venice, which is, you know, just a remarkably cool place. The next one is from Florence. Um, you know, you have a little more detail and, and so it's, this is called a lace quatrefoil. Um, I didn't give them the names. These are the names that technically came with them. I don't know who did that. 
But so you're tied now. Now you've, you know, you've got two in Italy. You've got a couple in France. You've got a couple in England. Um, but you have this very nice uh, you know, pattern and all kinds of stuff going in there. And you, if you sit and look at it, you can, you know, there's a cross in the middle and you know, flowers are always the way of resurrection. There's a lot going on there. Okay, you want to give me the next one too, please? Um, this one is uh, from Prague, which is you know, birthplace of the Re- Reformation. Often people say if there was no Huss, there would have been no Luther. So Huss got to the scene early. You remember that one of my favorite things I read, I try to remember um, from a venture capitalist who said, he said, I have to remember when I put up millions of dollars into a new venture. He, he said, um, being early is exactly the same as being wrong. Right? Well, so Huss found out when they burned him at the stake. Uh, you know, he was just 100 years early. So uh, it didn't go that well for him. But if there had been no Huss, there would have been no Luther. So, and, and, you know, this is a particular, uh, a little, uh, a particular, you know, you got, you don't have circles quite so much, but you do have triplets on the corners, and then you've got the four on the outside. So, um, you know, I have to confess to you that I don't know who um, Saint, I don't know if that'd be Vetus or Vitus. Does anybody know? Vetus? Uh, Vitus. Do you know anything about him? Patron saint, Patron saint of entertainers. <laughs> How could that have gotten into your confirmation, young man? We had a uh, fantastic instructor. There you go. Uh, it's actually uh, uh, epileptics. Why is he the patron saint of epileptics and entertainers? What, do we know why? Usually something happened in their life and they're saying. Really? You guys are the best. So there you go. I mean, I, well, that's, that's a lot of fun. And then, of course, the last one. Um, go ahead. Uh, the Quattropo from Worms in Germany, you know. Diet of Worms. Here I stand, I can do no other. Blah, blah. So that's a very nice mix from all around Europe. You know, so you get some, you know, you have kind of a little more Eastern, a little more Western. You've got Southern, you've got Northern, and you've got anchored at all. Um, that, um, the egg and dart bit from, from Worms. So there you go, and that's fun. So when you're not paying attention to anything else, go ahead and pay attention to that. And it was just a nice little touch. Yes, sir? There are five. You've got to sneak up to the altar, or um, to the uh, choir loft to see the last one. So I, w- I was looking around this morning at them. So they're, yeah, they count one, two, three, four, five all the way across. And they mirror each other going across. So it's the mirror image on the other side. There's five times two, man. This is great, man. The Zellers kids never act up. I mean, and they have had, what a morning. Your, your kids are perfect. I mean, it really is the full moon, I, whatever it is. Don't punish your kids because here's the thing. There's something atmospheric going on. Uh, you know, whatever it is, God bless you. Just keep going, okay? Yes, we got to go. Okay, anything else? All right, uh, you know, come back next week. I, you know, we're trying to figure out exactly what we should be doing. People... We always appreciate, you know, having a little time off in the summer. Some of you don't appreciate that. You know, you kind of say, uh, you know, Bible study sort of anchors things. We want to be um, sensitive to that. So I think we're going to go, uh, and really I think we're probably going to do 1st, um, 2nd, and 3rd John, at least 1st John, because it's basic incarnational stuff. And the thing is, is this, what I found is so often 
you know, something I said once 11 years ago, I think that you still remember that, which I don't know why I think that, because I have a wife and kids and they don't remember what I said last night. <laughs> so, you know, I say to myself sometimes, well, I've already covered that and why don't people, you know, blah, blah. So um, one of the most consoling baseline build everything on this uh, is, you know, First John, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and he who's born of God, knows God, he doesn't love, doesn't know God, it's great stuff. Um, you know, so we're gonna, we're gonna have a look, and that'll be something you can float in and out of. You, you will know enough if you're away on vacation, you come back and still know where we are. We'll have a, we'll probably vary, you know, probably the old vicar will teach some, I'll teach some, Pastor Nelson will teach some, the new vicar. By the way, we have, we have a new vicar, David Bukes, uh, who spent last year in Oberuzel, so he's living with the Kasparis next year. And uh, we haven't told them yet, but uh, they're not here, are they? They're, they're not really, don't say that. But, because uh, Gunter will, you know, Gunter will call me. What? You know, so, I love Gunter. Uh, you know, so, uh, so he was, so that'll be interesting, because he's had a year at Fort Wayne, he's had a year in Germany, which will be an interesting combination for the guy, okay? Yes. Uh, yes, he does. Thank you very much for asking. Yeah, so that's all, that's all worked out, and that'll be fun. All right, love you. Thanks for listening. It's a great, you know, it's a great space. Enjoy it. We'll keep going. We've just begun. There's more to do. But, um, you know, now it's this, this thing of settling in and making it work for everybody and figuring out. But it is great joy. And thanks again. I just, last thing. I mean, like even last week with the landscaping, you know, it was a rainy day. We didn't know if we were on or off. You know, 30 or 40 people turn out and they are happy. And it's the place, you drive by the place now, and you're proud to be, we were for a while there because spring came early. We were the bad neighbor. Everybody's <laughs> weeds were growing up, you know, like, ah, we don't want to be the bad neighbor. And then, you know, now we're the good neighbor. You look out there and it's just, you know, there's sure, of course, more to do, but I, the way you turn out and do stuff, I have to say, is really quite remarkable. And there were a contingent of people working inside too. So, you know what, just keep going, but it's fantastic. It's glorious. Um, you know, thank you very much. There's so much talent here. All right, let's pray and go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.